Welcome to another episode of Podcasters Unleashed. We're back. It's seven o'clock. It's Monday and we're here with another discussion. Uh, a group of podcasters from all around the world. And you know how we do if you're one of our regular um, listeners. You know that we talk about all sorts of deep and interesting topics. So today we're talking about immigrants, asylum seekers and any visitors to your country and how they are welcomed or if they are welcomed. And before we get into that, I will let my lovely co-hosts introduce themselves, starting with you, Matilda. Hello, everyone. My name is Matilda. I'm the host of Coffee with Matilda, A Journey to Self. And my podcast is about loving yourself, finding yourself, and coming out of adversity stronger than before. To you, Victor. Hey, thank you, Matilda. Um, I'm Victor Sio. I'm the host of the Diaspora Entrepreneurs podcast, where I have um, fantastic interviews with... Um, diaspora entrepreneurs from the African and Caribbean background to tell us how they kind of like pivot from the core nine to five to a lifestyle of freedom. Over to you, Simon. Thank you, Victor. Hi, I'm Simon, Simon Rushton. My podcast is Taxi Chronicles, where I interview people as they get into my taxi. I've got over 600 episodes and we published at 8 p.m., Greenwich Mean Time, so it's every day, so feel free to tune in and hear one of the many stories and hope that it can enhance your life. Back to you, Carla. Yep, and my podcast is the Wonder and Wellbeing podcast, which is a podcast for parents and teachers, and we talk all about education and wellbeing. And if you're a regular viewer, you know we're missing two people. So Nelson is not with us today, and Nelson is the host of Investing in America podcast, and also Howler who is the host of the Women With Stories podcast. So today we are talking about people from all different countries and we are from all different countries and we've all had very interesting experiences traveling around the world, visiting different places, living in different places. And maybe you have as well. So we would love to hear your views um, or your experiences. What experiences have you had um, being an immigrant or somebody who's traveled to another country, refugee, whatever it is, any kind of travel experience, uh, let us know about it in the chat and we'll be sharing our experiences as well. So at the moment, there are currently about 80 million, according to one statistic, people that are displaced around the world and around 30 to 34 million of those are children. So this means that about one in every just under 100 people is now forcibly displaced so we're not just talking we're talking there only about the people that are forcibly displaced that doesn't include the people that have traveled by choice it doesn't include the people that are doing it for all different reasons including economics or just a preference to live in another country so that's a lot of people who live in different countries from where they were born and some of the reasons why people might become for example forcibly displaced could be war it could be persecution, uh, climate change, violations of human rights, financial hardships, hunger, um, and all sorts of, of things. So, as I said, we love to hear your experience. We love to hear what you've what experience you've had, either traveling to another country and living there for whatever reason, or with people that have visited your country. And before we do that, I just want to talk about some definitions. But I want to hear from my co-hosts first, what definitions have you heard or had experience with? Because we often hear about refugees, immigrants, asylum seekers, all sorts of different terminology. So what experiences have you had 
Matilda? Um, I've seen refugees. I've heard about refugees because uh, what was happening in Syria, obviously, I knew a lot of people, they had to leave their home and come to um, maybe Europe um, because they didn't have any home anymore and they couldn't go back because of the war. I've seen immigrants because I'm an immigrant, um, Iranian, that I moved to America and I wanted to find a better life in America, American dream. <laughs> and then um, asylum seeker. I know asylum seeker because I know some Iranians that they came um, for uh, political reasons. They were captured in maybe in Iran uh, and they had a way to come to America and then they did an asylum because they couldn't go back to their country. Um, yeah, so I guess I'm, I've seen those three terminologies. Okay, Simon, what about you? Does it all make sense uh, to you? Yeah, um, I can't say I've had, well, I've interviewed a refugee. Um, it was a very interesting interview when he's in the taxi. His English was very broken. He had walked all the way from Ethiopia when uh, he had graduated and his uncle said to him if you, and his friend, if you want to um, have a better life, you can go to live in England. And he obviously he's not classed as a refugee, but then what happened, the war started in Ethiopia. I couldn't tell you if it was that part where he resided, but it's a very interesting story um, uh, his, how he walked from basically central, uh, middle, halfway through Af from Africa, where Ethiopia is, all the way to through Libya um, to catch the boat over to, um, what was it, Italy, I believe, or something like that. It's a long time, so I've done many episodes. But it's a very interesting story about the bribery, about hiding from, he had to walk through some other war-torn countries, and obviously, he started off as really an uh, economical migrant, as in an immigrant. But then, when he got sent back, um, because he was caught by the Sudanese army or police, got sent back to Ethiopia, you could say he became a refugee because the war started. But it's an interesting interview. When I remember the number episode, I will shout out so everybody can listen to it in great depth. Um, but apart from that, immigrants... Um, yeah, you bump into many immigrants, but more I bump into economical migrants. I can't say I've really, well, no, to tell a lie, you do bump into some refugees, but I haven't had any major in-depth conversation, apart from an Afghan refugee. That was an interesting one. He was working um, in the chicken and chip shop, which I often feel and not, not too proud of that. But anyway, enough of that babbling. Back to you, Carla. Yeah, enough of your dietary um, oh, secrets. Oh, we've, got, we've got some comments coming in. I'm not sure if someone wants to jump on them. Okay. Well, we want to say hello to all of you that you showed up. Uh, thank you, Rifa, for coming back. Thank you, Sitia, Kabir. Thank you for coming back. And um, Tashir, thank you for coming back. And um, experts, I know who you are. Uh, thank you for watching us from YouTube. And Riyasat, uh, thank you for coming. Okay, Victor, any, can you shed any light on all those different terms that Simon and Matilda were using? Because there's so many different ways that people are referred to, isn't there? 
Yeah, um, there are lots, there are lots, and um, they're very right because if you start looking at the terminologies, we will not live here today because there are so many types of um, types of um, negative names that are being that refugees are being called, you know. But I've had lots of experience with refugees, you know, and um, because um, okay, anyway, we'll go into the migrant aspect because it's a clear, a clear difference there but there are so many I've worked with a lot of refugees in um, in the NHS so most of them they've actually become um, medical doctors, pharmacists you know clinical psychologists and um, they work um, mental health within the NHS so yeah I've worked with a lot of them as refugees, and even on the um, the London Overground, I, I mean the network rail. So we have so many, there's so many network um, refugees there as well. So yeah, I've seen I've seen them. I've worked with a lot of them. So yeah. Okay, and Howler, any thoughts on the language or the different ways that we refer to people, or your experiences in relation to that? Uh, well, I think a lot of people, they collapse uh, this definition into one. So people, when they see someone as an immigrant, uh, they are directly referred to a person who doesn't have money and they just came here to benefit from the system or is a refugee or so. People are a little bit ignorant uh, about this kind of definitions. Uh, I have been... Um, an expat in Arab countries, so as a, um, a daughter of a diplomat. So I went in different countries. I have experienced being as an expat and I have experienced being as an immigrant uh, in France with no, with no uh, <laughs> privileges as a, as a diplomat. So I have experienced both and I have seen uh, the different treatments that I had uh, with different status. So, and I think also a lot of people when they see refugees, uh, the first thing it's came to to their head is they are they can be a threat because of this their um, cultural differences, religion differences, their value system that is that won't match the community, uh, which sometimes you could be surprised and uh, and drunk from it because uh, a lot of people who had who are refugees? They had um, they had home, they had jobs, they had a lot of uh, hopes and dreams, and uh, they are not all the same. So I think people need need to be more knowledgeable about uh, the different countries and their really their their personality and their their values before judging. Okay, awesome. So that's a great place to actually. Um, Matilda, do you want to read the comments and then I'll talk yeah, a little bit about the a lot of comments coming in. And uh, I want to say welcome to Akram. Thank you for tuning in again. You're our number one fan, Akram Amar. Thank you, Sasha, for coming in again. Um, so Akram is saying the topic of today's the topic of today's episode is very important and sensitive. Yes. Thank you, Sasha, for tuning in. With the climate change, migrants uh, are just a start. It's a challenge uh, situation everywhere. It's a challenging situation everywhere. And we have Tashina 
Aliyah, thank you for tuning in, Tashia. War and ethnic, tribal and religious violence are leading causes of refugees fleeing their countries. And experts are saying, what is the dark side of the refugee and immigration issue that many governments and individuals benefit from? And I think um, we're going to continue and I'm going to come back again. Okay. All right. So let's have a look a, a little bit, just a, a review, because we heard lots of different terminology there. And just we can't go over all of the different ways that people are referred to, as Victor said, because we'd be here all day. But just for the purposes of just some clarity for this episode, when we're talking about a refugee, a refugee is a person that's been forced. This is defined as a person that's been forced to leave their country in order to escape war, persecution or natural disaster. And maybe then um, given some refuge in another country, as in refugee. That's where we get the word refugee. It's somebody who's seeking refuge. Um, an asylum seeker, a person who has left their country as a political refugee and is seeking asylum in another. So that's why sometimes we get an overlap. So if you're a refugee, you're a refugee when you leave your country. When you arrive in the other country, you will move to an asylum seeker because you will begin to seek asylum. Um, then we have immigrants as a person who comes to live permanently in another country, and that could be as a result of seeking asylum, which they then get and become an immigrant or somebody who's not forced um, but chooses to go and live permanently in a foreign country. In some cases, when those people move, depending on the country they come from, they may be called an expat, as Howler mentioned earlier. Um, but one of the funny things is that sometimes people from certain countries are called expats, i.e. Western countries, um, but people from other countries retain the status of an immigrant, even though they become an expat. I know it's starting to get technical. And then we have the term a migrant, which is somebody that moves country temporarily um, compared to the word immigrant, which is somebody that intends to move permanently. Are you baffled? Because... <laughs> Um, and Simon also mentioned about economic migrants, which are people who move um, because of financial reasons. So all of this shows you how complicated this issue can be. So, and, and just to jump in, and just to jump in, because you mentioned it's just people who are forced by for political reasons. War. There is also famine, hunger. Yes, drives people up to become to seek refuge in somewhere that's more fertile. So let's yeah. not forget, let's not forget 1984 with um, the Ethiopian famine, one million people that died and they had to like seek refuge somewhere else. So let's put that into context now. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that, Victor. That's really important. So spinning off that, Victor, actually, do you think, this is to all of you really, and also to our audience, do you think that there are some inconsistencies globally with the way that people refer to and treat people from different countries. Victor, I would say I would say yes. You know, um when when your belly is full you kind of pick and choose who comes to your house. So <laughs> Yeah, so you see, you see, like the West, they after after the Libyan war crisis, you know, they started picking and choosing. Then you have to actually see how 
Um, it's not it's, it's not really a humanitarian thing anymore, in my opinion, right now. Because the Libyan, the Libyan, the Syrian um, crisis or the Syrian war, the Libyan war, really exposed us to how Western countries actually treat refugees or how they accommodate refugees. Because you see Germany saying, you know, I'm not the cause of this. You see France saying, I'm not the cause of this. They started pointing, blame, blame this, blame that. Whereas they all signed the UN treaty. So when they start picking and choosing to me, I just felt that there's something not really genuine about this whole, this whole refugee thing. Okay. Matilda, what are the comments saying? Because I know they're coming in fast. I think there are yeah. some that will back up what uh, uh, they yeah. said. So Akram is saying, are you sure that the country that receives hundreds of thousands of refugees and migrants is purely for humanitarian reasons? Very nice question. And then James George. Thank you for showing up, James. Everyone agrees that the word immigrant can be applied to someone who moves voluntarily to a given country or a region intending to settle there. And then I want to give shout out to uh, Simon and his podcast. He was talking about the episode that is about the refugee person. It's this one. It's on episode 51. Yes, Simon? Yeah, thanks, Matilda. There's also there's quite a few as it goes. There's episode 51, which is explaining about housing in UK, um, UK immigrants. Um, there's episode 435, which basically is a lawyer, human rights lawyer, explaining the technicalities, like Carla was speaking about early, of whether you're immigrant, refugee, and what the British government does to encourage or discourage people to come to their country, whether they're economical migrants. And he goes very to great detail, so I suggest for anybody who's interested or in the circumstances, you can listen, learn, and hopefully your life will be enhanced. Thanks, Matilda. Very nice. So um, these are the uh, links on the. So whoever is interested, they can show the. They can just click on the links and go and watch it after the show. <laughs> and then experts is saying, <laughs> statistics show that the less than ten percent of them are un, uneducated, and their average age is twenty. Is this by chance? Hello, Jay. Oh, Jay. Thank you for showing up. Sorry, Rita. can yeah. I just jump in there? Many countries, like for in Africa, many countries, the average age is mid-20s or even younger due to academics and various other things like that. So, And also, if you're dealing with refugees, you're dealing with a war-torn country that's had a long history of problems and why people just got up and said, I'm, I'm off. And that's usually going to be the young because the first, the old elders, elders can't travel that well and they're sick and they've got health issues. And then the other elders are fighting. So you're left with the young. And that's the reason why. But young are good because young have a health and they have a drive to become successful and they will contribute to your economy, given a chance. Oh, sorry, back to you, Matilda. Yes. And then Refi saying, are refugees temporary residents? And then Akram is asking, is saying, some countries 
suffer from the so-called aging crisis, as most of their citizens are over 65 years old and are threatened with collapse due to the lack of sufficient uh, manpower and the suffering of the financial budget from dispersing uh, compensation to the elderly. And I think, um, Carla, continue and I'll get back to you after. Okay, awesome. So yeah, some really interesting comments there. I think um, the comment by experts and also by Akram are quite interesting because uh, they're talking there about statistics and um, the demographics of people um, quite often when they are traveling to different countries. Um, can we just put that comment that Akram uh, said, because I think that's what um, Simon was talking about as well. Um, some countries suffer from so-called aging crisis um, with too many uh, people that are not active in the workforce. Um, and we know also there are other countries where there's a shortage of skilled or qualified people to fill certain jobs or like here in the UK in recent weeks when we had the, um, the energy crisis and there was a lack of drivers and there still is. There were a lack of people willing to fit those jobs. And so then quite often when those situations arise, governments have to turn to outside the country to bring people in. But the irony of it is quite often when those people come in to fit a need in the country, they're not welcomed. What are your thoughts on that, guys? Howler? Yeah, I do agree with that because um, on the aspect that a lot of refugees are not welcomed, but a lot of them, they do the work that <laughs> the locals don't want to do <laughs> in some areas. And uh, I have seen uh, um, a documentary about uh, immigrants who couldn't stay in Germany because of the way that some uh, people treat them and they just wanted to go back to their country and they can't. They, can't, they are stuck, they can't go back to where they were. They are stuck in the place and they need to, to fix it and they need to, to take these kind of jobs to survive. And it's kind of, I mean, a new modern slavery. So um, their just basic needs are not met and they need to survive to and, and help themselves. So it's kind of complicated to Carla. Yeah. So, Matilda, do you think that the language that we use around these different people and how we describe them uh, makes a difference to how uh, local people um, may receive um, visitors to their country or people who are moving to their country? Um, yeah, I think it's relevant. But at the same time, I mean, I'm an immigrant and I think even um, Armenians that they came to Iran 500 years ago, they were refugees because the Shah Abbas took them forcibly, and it was actually genocide as well there. But so I kind of, my ancestors went through the refugee process. Um, I don't know if I was living, if I was, for example, American or a European, born and raised with my ancestors how I would feel about immigrants or how I would feel about refugees. Now, I love them because I'm one of the refugees and immigrants. But maybe if I was, for example, German, I don't know how I would feel about um, different level of refugees coming to my country. If they were workforce, 
uh, they would work and then they would uh, contribute to my country, I would love it. But if that's not the case, I would have some issues, I think. I think every human will have. But are they treated with dignity? That's the question we need to ask. Are they really welcome? If they want to do the, the jobs that no one wants to do, it's okay. Okay, so let's come back to that, yeah. about welcoming them. I just want to pick up on the point that uh, Matilda's saying there about if they're contributing. I think mm. that's quite an interesting comment because I suppose we have to ask the question of what do we mean by contributing? Do people who don't work or who are not wealthy, don't uh, contribute something, as in they come into the country with lots of wealth that they can add. Do they contribute? You know Do what? they contribute um, in any other way, Simon? Well, I would look at it like this. I would say immigrants or refugees is always going to be a love-hate situation. Um, you can, I used to work with a man who's from North England, and um, he used to complain about immigrants even though he's in London, I would say he's an immigrant because you're not a Londoner. Um, that's another story. Um, but he complained that everybody we used to stop with driving our driving a dustbin truck. So every business we used to go to was an immigrant business, whether it's an Asian, whether it's a Turkish, whether it's a Chinese. And they all used to give food and different things. Even McDonald's. McDonald's is an immigrant company. It's not British. It's American, it's immigrants. Now, it's a question of how you want to look at it. Now, where I would say, where I say love, hate, because in England, we have a system of national health, free housing, free even pocket money, you could say. So if somebody comes and seems to be getting all of these things and they've never contributed to, uh, to anything and they're just getting all of this, and some people may be disgruntled, but then I would also ask that person, why are you disgruntled? You've had the privilege of being born in a country where you have an economical stability and you haven't really excelled to where you are comfortable or happy. Because if you were, you wouldn't really be bothered about the man next door unless, and I stress unless, he couldn't adapt to your culture, unless his culture was overpowering his. Um, and this is where something where Matilda raised and even Howler, where you, where you look at certain, just because you may be treated badly, if when people come together as a new bunch of immigrants or refugees, they tend to stick together because there's safety in numbers and then they build their own economy. Now, if I revert back to Kenya, where you had a, the biggest refugee camp is on the borders of Kenya, which is from the Somalian war-torn country. They've really boomed the Kenya's economy. They build massive houses. They've got their own financial system. Their import-export, they worked into the military. They they became, but they also kept their culture. So you call, they call them Somali Kenyans. And um, there's no welfare system there. And they actually do business argumentatively better than the Kenyans do. Because they're on time. They do what they say they're going to do. And they have an honor system when it comes to business. Now, these are all attributes. But... The same sense that the people who haven't done too well in Kenya do at times get disgruntled about them. So it depends on where you are personally, your mindset, I would say, to how you approach immigrants. But I will say this, when you're sick and you're in hospital, you don't care if that person's an immigrant or used to be a refugee or born in England. You just want them to do their job to the best of their ability and make it better. <laughs> So all those things you have to take into consideration when talking about immigrants. I just, um, just to let you know, um, Matilda, I've just posted, it's 300, there's an episode, 301, 
sorry, a massive journey about the refugee from who walked from Ethiopia to Europe. Um, so for all those who want to listen, it's on Facebook and YouTube and Spotify and Instagram and all the rest of the platform. But back to you, um, Carla. Yeah, Matilda, can we get some comments? Because I know we've got lots of um, interaction going on from the audience. Yes, we have James saying, group focusing on immigration environment are keen to get their voices heard, but many mainstream green groups shut the highly uh, divisive topic. Sasha is saying, interesting to see the comments and the reactions about the subject. It's all about perspectives. Some comments suggest certain countries are benefiting about the situation of those immigrants, but we say exactly the opposite in those countries. It's not so simple. I, I, I agree with Sasha, actually, because um, I wanted to make one point, Carla. I think uh, how America, for example, is doing to get refugees and immigrants, it's nice because it's getting immigrants that they know that they're going to work in the country uh, or the refugees going to work in the country. They're not just sitting and using the um, benefits of the country, in a say, the social benefits. In a way. Yeah, but that goes back to the question I was asking you earlier. Do people who claim social benefits contribute, because the word was contribute, wasn't it, that came up, do they contribute anything of value to society or is a human being's only value determined by economics? Because I think that's a, quite a controversial um, issue. I know it definitely is here in the UK. Okay, so let's say, for example, you are fleeing a country and you're a qualified doctor and you can come to the UK and you can uh, claim uh, refugee status and you can work your way through the system to be able to work here. You will obviously be able to contribute something in terms of being a doctor. But if you don't have that, is there any other way that a person could contribute? Um, or do they just have a lower value as a human being? Because this was what Howla was talking about, about the way that we welcome them um, and the way that we treat humans. Is this a humanitarian issue or is this an economics issue? And, and where does the overlap? What do you think, Victor? I think, I think the system that Matilda is alluding to is kind of... Um... It's 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 it is a factory like a factory issue whereby you just discard what these goods that are not really good. You get so if 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 let's say war comes into a community now and everyone is displaced, we have the doctor and we have the one cleaning the doctor's office, and they run out from the same town, the same community, the same country, and they find themselves in the gates of the United States. Are you saying that the doctor goes in and the um, the cleaner falls off and just goes into oblivion? Is that a system that you're trying to promote? No. no, cleaner is good. But if someone is not working and taking money from the government, it's a problem. Imagine, Victor, you're the, you're the leader of a country. You're accepting, I don't know, 100,000 um, refugees from Syria. 100,000 of not working, not, not contributing people. What will happen to your economy? You, so, as a leader, you're responsible for your own country and your own country's economy and it your does, people. 
it does it does comes back to what donald trump was saying about she told she told country some years ago which is absolutely rubbish you get so you don't you don't pick and choose human beings who are running away from something and you're putting the barrier in front of them saying first of all you come into a country whether you're a refugee or not you need to stand up with according to one of our africans saying when a chicken comes to town it stands up with one feet after some time it drops the other one so you cannot just come to a country a different a different culture and start flying no you need to come in settle down maybe you might learn your skills who knows but just discarding someone from the get-go and say you know what don't come here you over there don't come here you can die there but don't get on that plane no but maybe, maybe there is there have to be maybe there has to be a system to contribute it maybe evenly in different cities because if you bring all these hundred thousand that doesn't work they don't do anything and they're just taking money from the government to survive then it's a problem for your economy there is a problem there. That's that just one thing who told you they don't want to work because in france they have uh taken 19 uh, 19 000, uh refugees and they afford 500 jobs for this amount of people who came so even the the jobs opportunity for these refugees they they couldn't um have all jobs for this kind of people because they need papers and asylum applications uh, you need to <laughs> for for refugees they need to stay for two years three years i don't know it takes a lot of time to have papers to work legally so otherwise people could just take this refugees and they can make them work illegally but that person will go to prison so it's a very complicated situation because they don't want just to come here and stay uh and just take the benefit they want to but work Carla, some of them know i met a, a afghani girl my age in paris she was living in paris and she was speaking Pashto, Farsi, so it's a different dialect of Farsi, so I could understand her. She was saying, oh, I don't know how to read and write even in Pashto. And I'm living in Paris. She And she was like, I'm like, are you working? She's like, no, the government is paying. Why should I work? I make more money here than ever I made in my country. And everything is good. And my kids are going to a free school. Uh, and I'm like, but you don't want to learn with your kids? She was like, oh, no, but it's difficult. But why do I need it? I mean, government is taking care of it. That kind of a person could not yes. come to America because you need to work. Government yes, is not going to give you money. She's one of the 5%. Yeah. Sorry, can we just jump on some comments? I'm going to come back to you on that. But if we can jump on some comments in the meanwhile. Okay. So uh, James George is saying, today's immigration is overwhelmingly composed of newcomers from Asia and Latin America, areas with significantly different languages and cultures than those of previous European immigrants in the late uh, 1800s and earlier uh, decades of the 1900s. And... Ditya Kavi is saying educated immigrants also lead to lesser burden on government spending because they contribute more in taxes while taking advantage of lesser public facilities. And hello, Thomas. Uh, welcome back. 
He's saying no person should want or need to leave anywhere but their home, but the world is not at the level of goodness for these to be so. We must always help people who need it. Uh, who need it. That's a given if you're good. I'm Irish immigrant was forced upon my people many times by those who were not good, no dogs and all that. We will get there, but until then, help others and help the uh, countries to be better so that immigrants who feel they have to leave their homes for various reasons don't feel that way. So, Okay, I think... Then we'll come back, yeah? Okay. Well, I was going to say to what you're saying, Matilda, <clears throat> um, we have to take into consideration different countries have different policies. Some countries, um, you, if you're immigrants, you're, you're put in a plot and you're given a job to do. Now, also, every person you have in your country is actually worth a certain amount to the government because they produce tax, and they produce tax even if they don't work because they consume items. That means the economy circles around, which increases your economy. Now, what I found many years ago when I was leaving university, it's easier for somebody from a developing country or less, let's say, behind um, to get to America than it is for somebody from Europe because they do want people who they know aren't going to just go back home <laughs> They want people who, when they get there, they're staying in that respect. But all those things do need to be taken into consideration. And when I gave the example with the Somali Kenyans, um, they built a city upon themselves. And then they start to do trade with their neighbours, who are the locals, and people start to invest, and it all grows. So there's argumentatively, even if you've got criminal elements of immigrants, they still help move the economy, as it was in the 70s, where you had the kind of the Colombians and all of those people who came with the, the drug dealing, that kept the American economy alive during the Depression eras because everybody was buying and snorting and buying cars and houses and spending money on women and women can look after their children and all the rest of it. So there's no, I would say, there's no such thing as really a bad immigrant. There's just, if the government's sensible, they need to make sure, okay, these people need to be educated about our ways the do's and don'ts. And in that lady's case, where you talk about the pasture lady, remember, you've got to take in consideration her culture. Women don't have to work. And that's many cultures around the world. So if you don't have to work, if you don't have to work and you're brought to a country where women do work, but it's not forced upon them, because in America and England, we have many housewives. We know, otherwise we wouldn't have reality shows like Housewives and all of those things. <laughs> because it's not working with me watching those, um, then she's not going to think. And what does she see on TV? She sees those shows. And she's given free money. She's given a house and free education for her children. Why does she need to work? And now that's her mindset. I'm not saying I agree with it, but I'm saying you need to understand people's mindset. And also you need to show people that they can become more if they want to. And if but she's not shown that, then that may be one of the dilemmas. So you're telling, like, if you're a leader of a government, you just say immigrants, or not immigrants, because immigrants are different caliber yeah, in a way. Refugees are welcome no matter what. No, all right, there's a couple of things we need to take into consideration. Did we cause a war in their country? Iraq, 
Syria, those kind of things. If I'm Sweden, I haven't caused a war in anyone's country, so I might tell them no. I might put a cap. But if we're England and America, then yes, we do have a duty to take those people in because we should have thought about that before sending it back to the Stone Age. Okay, I'm going to cut in there because that's a really important topic and I want to see what Howler thinks about this. Okay, so you raise a very important topic there, Simon, about um, our collective responsibility. And I think this is what Thomas is touching on a little bit in his comments. And I just want to take this moment to say thank you to everybody for your comments. Um, it's really interesting, the things that you're putting. Um, so keep your comments coming in. Um, Thomas is touching there on the collective human family responsibility. I think we often focus on the divisions and we take borders as facts. So actually borders are human made. And actually we are just one globe. We're one global family. Um, and we do have a responsibility to our fellow human being. Um, but when we, do, Howler, do you think uh, when countries are involved in wars and when they're involved in, in political disputes or situations in other countries, that the citizens of those countries have a responsibility to welcome um, in, in, asylum seekers, immigrants, visitors, fellow human beings, let's call them. <laughs> well, I just wanted to tell a, a, a true story about um, me going to, to Lebanon. So we lived in Lebanon and we used to go to Syria in the 90s and i can tell you actually it, it's a very very beautiful uh, country there you have a landscape you had shops universities churches everything the economy was raising there and now when i see what's happened to to syria now i just i don't believe that i i went there and i don't believe that it's the same thing i feel like there's something changed i'm, I'm shocked at what's happening and uh words I mean, colony, colony and words, they only uh, keep us backward. And um, a lot of people didn't really even thought about leaving their country or uh, going to work elsewhere. They really loved their country, especially also the Lebanese. When I was there in 2016, I mean, they left uh, really well. But when, when uh, a lot of things had happened, the explosion that happened uh, there, everyone left because they couldn't handle... Um, all the, the problems and uh, of course I, I do believe and I do agree with Simon that people who cause the problems and who cause the war, the war they need to uh, be hold themselves accountable and think about the consequences that happen after it. You can't just enter the country and take what you want and just leave. Victor, what do you think about that? I like the statement she said there, you can't just go and take what you want and leave. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. You can't just, you can't just, because I, I would say, I would say, given, given that I'm from, I'm from Nigeria, I'm from Africa, and, um, you know, I'm an immigrant right now in the United Kingdom. We, we, we still face most of this, just walking and take, walking and take. So it's, it's very interesting what Matilda says, uh, you know, if you are the president of a country, if I'm the president of an African country and I decide and I choose to say, you know what, don't walk in here and take any more. You know what's going to happen to me as the president. It's what? going to be in it's, six... It's, it's, it's <laughs> a bit like saying we're not having vaccinations in this country. 
Yeah, in, in, see, in six to in six to eighteen months' time, there will be a refugee crisis in my country. Okay, interesting. So it's yeah. it's very very political. It's um, and I think that's that's obvious, isn't it? The situations that arise globally are very political, um, and probably caused more by people's focus on their own um, their own advantage. Um, and turning a blind eye to how their own advantage yeah. at least be responsible at least be responsible if you cause something just be responsible and just like just take it if you want to be a big brother around the world be a big brother around the world when you go parts and cause different stuff at least let them come in you take, Victor, the good, you take the bad just because someone is a refugee doesn't mean is a good human being what if what is your criteria to kind of um screen them you don't want to just bring uh, all the Matilda, drug dealers and Matilda, you ever heard the term you're you're always going to ba get a bad apple in a barrel i'm sure it has to I'm be sure a, bad a apples in iran in america in many countries around the world actually but, it is in but, iran yeah, we yeah, have uh yeah, we have yeah. afghan refugees and all the drug problems is coming from the refugees a lot of Iranian young kids, young kids are on opium because okay. of the these refugees, and okay. lots of Iranian families are losing their children because there is lots of drugs okay. coming in with these refugees. Okay. So if some people are disagreeing in Iran, for example, with the refugee system because they want the government to screen certain elements. You can't just allow people to come and bring. The bad things to the your youth, right. and that's a problem too. Have you ever heard? Excuse the phrase. Every everybody has its asshole, meaning every group of people that come along, you're going to get a percentage of bad things that you do not want. Now, with drugs, which is one of my favorite discussions, I'm sure that Afghans are not pinning down the locals and sticking them with needles. I'm sure the locals are coming up and say, "You got any hash? I hear you got it in your country." Bring some over for us. Demand, supply, you're broke, you're poor. It all comes together. Maybe the locals need to say, just say no. But I think we need some comments. <laughs> yeah, Matilda, can you read the comments? We've got a few yeah. uh, interesting things coming in. Uh, Riha is saying, Rifa is saying, can a failed refugee apply for PNP? What's PNP? Over a million Rohingya. Uh, PNP is the Canadian. I think it's the Canadian system. Can it correct me if I'm wrong? I think it's when they go through the immigration uh, system in Canada. Well, um, if, if, maybe if, if I'm wrong, Rifa, yeah. let us know. But if you can maybe add a bit more information about that. Okay, he's saying over a million Rohingya refugees have fled violence in Myanmar in successive waves of displacement since the early 1990s. For refugees, many countries faces many challenges and problems, along with social, environmental, legal, and financial impacts. And Akram is saying, it must be recognized that the issue of migrants and refugees has traders from individuals and companies and governments and international bodies. Quite illuminating. Okay, 
this is Madiaga. Madiaga, welcome to the show. I think you're the first time I'm seeing you here. I can be saying our role as individuals is not limited to sympathizing with immigrants and refugees, but rather by trying to protect them from the injustice that are subjected to their countries and countries of immigration and during the journey. Okay, so we stop there because that was actually the next direction we yeah. were going to go in. So actually, what we'd like to ask to you as the audience, we're going to start talking about some solutions now, what we can do, because it's clear that this is a very complex issue. And it's also clear that there are not many, if any, governments around the world that are getting the balance of this just right. Um, there are lots of issues um, and lots of injustices and things going on. So to you, the audience, I would like to hear from what your government and your local communities, so your governments and your local communities, how have they been responding to immigrants, refugees, or any other kind of visiting human being? Because actually what we need to remember is in the end, whatever labels we give them, they are human beings. So going back to this comment from Akram, um, guys, what do you see as your role um, in, in your countries? Because we're all in different places, aren't we? I know Simon and I are in the UK, but London is very different. Uh, London is like a, a country inside a country, actually. So London's got a very different philosophy and culture um, to the north, as they, as the Londoners call it. Um, but what, what is the policy and the response in your community, Simon? Do you want to? Are, are you referring to roles as an individual or as a, what we believe our government should do? Forget the governments, <laughs> because I think what we'll say about governments is they are, they struggle to manage these issues. So. What about on a community level, let's say? What can we do or what have you seen happening on a community level in connected to what Akram's saying there about, he says, our role as individuals is not limited to sympathising with immigrants or refugees, but rather by trying to protect them from the injustice they are subjected to in their countries and in the countries of immigration. Um, there's a couple of pointers there. If, we, if, if I start like from their country, I don't think my role's anything. I think the problem true, whether you say democracy or true equal opportunities, all of that kind of thing amounts from people as a nation sorting out their own differences in-house. Yeah, I don't have a right to go to somebody else's country and tell them what to do or, or and just telling them to come to my country. And I, and I do believe, I kind of see, even I say my country, I do see the world as a globe you should have the right to stay anywhere as long as you're not causing a problem for the people where you are there's a bit of hypocrisy in this but if you just run away from your problems i don't think that's really helping because you're there's that problem still going to be there it's not going to sort out itself someone's got to sort that out and you're better off staying there and trying whether you fight whether whatever you do just to try and sort it out and get stable now for those people who can't fight or didn't cause the war that's another issue, as I said earlier. Yeah, you can come to, by all means, come to the country that's been causing the problem in your country. But um, generally, I don't see. And me as a private individual, if I see an immigrant, it's just another person down the street. The government's, I know we're not meant to talk about the government, but we've got systems here in place. If you're a silent seeker and you've crossed the ferry and done all that, um, I'm not going to take you in my house. I've got my own concerns. You sort yourself out. If you manage to get all this way this far, 
the most I might do is tell you there's local authorities or whatever, whatever I know, go and talk to them and they'll help you out. But I'm not going to, I'm not Mother Teresa and I'm certainly not the Pope or any other religious figure. <laughs> it's just not going to Right. Victor, are you taking anyone in your house? Um, no. <laughs> So much by saying, come to my country, come to my country, 100,000, good to go. Now you're not taking anyone at your house? Matilda, the difference is, the difference is, is that, take take the Afghani, Afghani situation a couple of weeks ago for into context here now. You know, it wasn't planned. It just happened. Except the, um, the government that were involved, they knew about this too. They actually planned it. But the guys that were on ground, people that were supporting the coalition and all those kind of stuff, they were not planned. People that were anti-Taliban, it wasn't planned. So when, when the Taliban took over, you saw the mad rush to get out of the country. Now, this is what happens. Cultural shock. Six hours later, you're in a different country where you don't see camel running on the street or horses. Now you're seeing cars, four lanes going that way, four lanes coming this way. Now you're like, like a deer staring at the headlight. What are you going to do? But solutions, solution for me is to actually, solution from the government down to local people like myself, solution on the government level is to actually, if they're being moved to a particular area, is to actually get people who are more, you see how COVID was played by the media to us. Celebrities, influencers, like, oh, you need to do this, you need to do that regards COVID. They should they should use those same start uh, those same those same strategies and marketing strategies to try to you know what? If you if you accept a refugee, you're actually helping yourself. Those kind of gimmicks. I think the government should be able to, like, they have geniuses there, so they should be able to um, use those kind of, like, strategy. But when it comes to people like myself, fine, we can meet in the park. I would. I'm a very loving guy, Matilda. You know? I'm mm. a very loving guy. But for a refugee, different culture, we need to kind of find a way to meet in the middle. But if information comes that, you know what, uh, it is going to be difficult. Let me not tell you something different. It is going to be difficult. But so you're not going to invite them to your home to eat I, your kids. I would, <laughs> I would respect them. I would, I would, I would make sure that they get they get the right the right guidance or the right direction towards where the, where appropriate help is. But in my house, yeah. we might meet in the park. If I let, in the park? Let, Matilda, oh, very generous. <laughs> if I let, England has a system. Depending on how many people you have in your house, the more tax you have. So there's no way of letting anybody in my house. <laughs> there's no reading because I'm paying off tax as it is. <laughs> okay, so, um, so basically, you guys are saying, "Come, come, come," but let other people to take care of it. Is this? No, the, I'm paying the government. We paid our taxes. The government has a system which is based on our taxes, let them do their job. It's very, very simple. 
Okay, Paula, I've got a kind of a spin-off question for you based on that topic. Do you think we are individually too selfish to be able to address this issue? Uh, well, I think it depends on the values of each person, as you always say, Carla, the values. <laughs> and if we go back, for example, in the religion, in the Islam religion, one of the pillars of Islam is to donate to poor people. And I think if people just stick, <laughs> Muslim people stick with that, we, will, uh, we could end at least the hunger in, in some Muslim countries. But uh, some pillars are not uh, respected in the, some people practice religion, in any religion. And uh, I just want to add something because uh, I've uh, volunteered last year uh, to give food to people in Paris. And I thought that I will uh, find the refugees and immigrants, but it turns out uh, most of them were homeless European <laughs> from Portugal, <laughs> Spain. And I was very disappointed actually, because these people, they talk good French and they are outside uh, the, the, um, the housing that they offered them. It's like, um, you know, small houses and with different kind of um, of beds. And uh, they just didn't want to go there. And they, they love sitting, sitting in the street, actually. And they don't want to work or to go live there. So they have some psychological issues. And uh, I just felt really disappointed and really angry because I'm like, other people, other people could really benefit from this kind of help. Uh, rather than them because they are Europeans and they just don't want to do anything. So before coming and attacking refugees and people who really want to, to survive and uh, to, to make a living for their families, look actually at the homeless also people that in Europe. And I think also Europe is, um, um, they are in a struggle with not only with refugees, but with also the homeless people. And uh, it's very complicated to to raise this issue, actually. Kaula, would you allow uh, a refugee come and live with you? I could help, but I'm not in the capacity to to enter someone in the house. I could help and donate and uh, bring food and uh, and give that emotional support. A lot of refugees because they in see the me at Middle Eastern in the park. You meet them in the park. No, but, <laughs> but I remember when I when I went out from work, a lot of refugee Syrians they were there and they see me as a Middle Eastern. They come talk to me because they want money, they want something. So I was like, okay, let's go and and buy some food for them. And when I went out from the supermarket, there were a lot of them waiting. So I was like, I was afraid, like everyone is waiting. So I just put the food there and went because I, I can't, you can't help everyone. Just do what you can do to help people. And you can't help everyone. It's, it's just, just help with what you can only. Yeah, that's a great point, actually, Haolo. And I, and I hope that that sticks because we're, we're talking now about solutions. Um, and I think we always have to remember that we can't take on the role of the government. As Simon said, it's not mm -hmm. our job. Um, but it's not a case of what we can't do. It's a case of what we can do. So, OK, yes. we can't take people into our homes. We can't feed everyone. But there's something that everyone can do. And you also mentioned there, Howler, about um, 
one of the pillars of Islam, which is to be charitable. And also, I don't think there is any religion or belief system in the world that talks in any way or advocates in any way to be self-centered. I hope there isn't. And if there is, if you're following one, stop following it. Um, there is no uh, system that tells you to be self-centered um, and no system that tells you not to show compassion and charity and kindness to your fellow human beings. So I think that's something that we can all probably do more of. Matilda, can we have the comments? Because we've got some more um, interesting. Okay. I think we've got a few solutions yeah. as well. I just no, want no, to no, point no. out Aaliyah's um, comment there. I like it, but what I will say to you, Aaliyah, is that it's where a country hasn't taken, when they take on refugees, but they haven't put any infrastructure down. So in England's case, for instance, they will have infrastructure because they've got, we're a small island and we've got it everywhere. So Let me read it first. Yeah. Well, yeah, the audience has probably uh -huh. read it already. We've been up there for the last 10 minutes. But, um, Obviously, in let's say in Kenya's case, there's no infrastructure, so that causes many problems. But back to you, Matilda. Okay, Tashina, I'm gonna just read very quickly so you know your we addressed your question, uh, or Simon addressed your question because of refugees, low quality water affects the health of large numbers of people in a situation when there is a high risk of infections, diseases multiplying rapidly. Yes, and then um, we have Sasha. Sasha says, Fakarian, he's saying about statistics, 39% about non-EU migrants in Europe are low educated. And the balance about benefits, expenses for them is not a benefit. Interesting point. Uh, Thomas is saying, imagine how tough it would be having to move from the place you love to a foreign land that you have been forced to move. Yeah, that would be very difficult. Love and feelings is the way the economy can wait. Okay. And then we have... Oh, we have a lot of uh, comments. I don't know. Shall we wait or no? Let's do it. Let's do a few more because I I think we're starting to wind down actually. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to figure out. There, uh, Sasha is saying there is no morality in economic regulation based on balance. It's based on balance of power. Countries are free to choose to select people who are going to live in their place. Just check New Zealand's policy compared to their moral position. Reality is very far from moral intentions. Akram is saying, are the countries receiving refugees innocent of the reasons for migration? The truth is that all countries of the world bear the responsibility of asylum in direct and indirect way. And then Rifa is asking, what are the solutions? And um, Thomas is saying, great wisdom, Simon. Thank you. Sasha is saying, borders are facts. Properties, owner. And Thomas is saying, yes, one world. And then we have... Tashina saying refugees may have to sell part of their food uh, rations to in order to obtain the fuel needed to cook 
the remainder, remainder contributing to increased levels of um, malnutrition. Very nice. And then we have um, uh, Kabiri saying, out of 87 of the most valuable startups in Silicon Valley, California, more than half were founded by immigrants. Okay, let's stop there because that's uh, a good uh, point, actually. Um, and it goes, it connects a little bit to um, the next question I'm going to ask, which is about concerns and how we balance the individual concerns. So before we do that, I would just want to ask you guys, what concerns do you have um, here on the panel, but also to the audience about the, the situation of, of immigrants? Because it's there are lots of things happening in the world at the moment that are threatening uh this is going to reach more and more people. So it's, there isn't going to be an end to immigration and migrants and refugees and all of that anytime soon. So what concerns do you have uh, with regard to that um, here on the panel first? Um, Simon? I wouldn't say I have really any concerns because neighbours are always going to have problems, uh, whether it's tribal, whether it's national, and big business in the Western world is a big contributor to that. And a big business is not going anywhere because we're all using technology as we're all on our live stream, whether it's our phones, our Apple Macs, and Tesla's coming out with a new phone, which I'm going to get. But anyway, we're all <laughs> sorry. We're all going to. We're all influenced, and from the influence, people are going to suffer for one or even other. And. Um, we can't really do anything about that as the individuals we are, and we're not big business or government. So it is what it is. If um, I will never pass a child in the street in, if they're hungry. I'd always give them food. Um, adults, you're on your own. Um, and even if, especially, even if you're disabled in, my, in England because you have a very good support system in England for disabled people, when I'm overseas, if you're disabled, it's kind of different. I will try and help you out, barring my experience in India, because you will find a hundred people around the suddenly come around the corner <laughs> who are in dire need for what my experience there. So um, it's kind of different. But overall, no, I, I, I do not worry about the situation. I'm taking care of my immediates and people who cross my path in life. And that's just as what it is. And realistically, you can't do more than that unless you want to be like a mother of Teresa, just dressed in loincloth and go and hand out Bibles and bread to everybody. Victor, <laughs> but, yeah. what do you think? Yeah, um, Simon, speaking of the Bible now, there's this Bible saying that says, let he that thinketh he stands take heed lest he falls. So anyone, I repeat, anyone can be a refugee no matter how safe or how stable you think your situation is right now, anyone can become a refugee just like that within a twinkle of an eye. Look at um, the most famous one was or is Julian Assange. He was very stable. He's Australian, you know, and he just founded a tech company and he leaked so many stuff that he wasn't supposed to do. And he's been chased by his own government. His own government couldn't even protect him. So if you think that being a refugee is something that is hmm, it's never going to happen, well, just um, 
be careful. Because if you are passionate about something, you might say something one day that will not go well in the right quarters and you find yourself running away, being forced away from your home and we'll be talking about you, God forbid. That is my concern. Matilda, what's your concern? Um, my concern is to when the immigrants, refugees, they come to your country and they impose their culture, their people on you. I think I don't like it. For example, you go to Italy, you're in Milan in a Plaza Domo. It's a beautiful plaza, Italian for thousands of years. And then you see McDonald's. You're like, come on, man. Why a McDonald's is here? It's not beautiful. It should have been something Italian and old Italian, not some to, um, a McDonald's there. Or you see Starbucks, for God's sake. Why a Starbucks is in here? Um, you know, it's kind of sad. You feel like there is a globalization. The cultures are losing that uh, authentic self. And it's sad because these big companies are coming and taking over the um, unique cultures of yours. But other about the refugees, I would definitely, if I have any authority, instead of giving them some fish, I would like to teach them how to get the fish. So maybe to have some facilities that you teach these refugees how to, um, how to learn the new culture, how to learn certain new skills. So they can be a productive member of the society. Um, and they can give a lot of values. If they're productive, they can teach their children. Their children can teach their classmates a different value that maybe that own country don't have it. But it has to be a productive member. I would hate to see someone that doesn't uh, contribute to the society and just takes from that society. Well, that's an interesting point Matilda raises, really, because, and it's a good point, because adults will need to be taught, children won't, because they're going to go to school and they get integrate, unless they're going to be, unless they're going to be the dominant nation in that school, um, then you may need to, but generally, if you mix them with the local community, they will take on the community ways, especially the latest trends and fashions, and, and you see it many a time where uh, children can speak very good English, but their parents are struggling. Back to you. Okay. Paula, what are your concerns about this situation? Um, as it's growing globally, it's becoming more of an issue. And as Victor said, people who previously thought they were safe, perhaps, will come under target in the coming years. Yes. And I think also in the coming years, there might be like a major European economic crisis. So we don't know how things is going to, to end. And... Um, um, also about the immigration part, because people tend to um, confuse the immigration and integration. So if someone is coming to the country, they need to respect all the, the rules. Yes, they need to respect all the rules, but they can't just ditch all their values and their identity and culture uh, right away and uh, just to stick with the rules. They can stick with the rules and they can keep their, their values and who they are and they don't forget where they came from. That's the important thing. And uh, a lot of people, they tend to uh, uh, push people to uh, remove their values that they are coming from 
should just to be integrated. Actually, no immigrants can be integrated. I don't uh, believe in the integration part. I believe, I believe in the respect, uh, brotherhood, uh, respect of the countries, the values, but you can't be 100% integrated. Uh, you can't be fully British or fully French. You're always going to have that part of you that is different from the locals, actually. So there is a very important part to talk about. And also the refugees camp that I want to talk about uh, about it because a lot of people don't know the conditions of people who live in the refugees camps for years to seek asylum. And uh, a lot of parents, they are brought into this guilt. They brought their children into their this kind of camps. Uh, children are very, very in a, in a very uh, disparate emotional state. Parents too. A lot of people tend to suicide just to leave. They don't even relate to each other anymore. And I think a lot of people don't um, uh, see the dark side uh, of the of the refugees in the in the camp, especially in the in the Greek uh, camps uh, where they it was burned in September, and uh, a lot of sad conditions there uh, to be considered to to the people who live there. Yeah, that's important as well, Haula. That is something that people can do as well. There are usually in your cities, um, there will be collections, there will be initiatives that you can take part in um, to help with uh, funding refugee camps, also with sending things there. If you're a person who likes to travel, um, perhaps one of your vacations can be doing some work in a humanitarian um project or in a refugee camp. It's quite an interesting. I have a friend who does um go to different countries and she takes part in um, volunteering in refugee camps and she's told many stories interesting stories about the things that you learn there um, so if you are a person that wants to do things about that that's also something to consider is how you can contribute um, to those uh, people that are displaced and in refugee camps for a long time Matilda can we have a few more comments and then we're going to wrap up final comments Yes, I'm going to read uh, the long ones. So sorry for uh, if I'm not reading your comment, nothing personal, just we want to have a we, we're short with time. Uh, Thomas is saying drugs are a choice, but if drugs aren't there, then there is no choice and no uh, perceived problem. Freedom comes at a cost and that cost is choice, good or bad. I think that was talking about the uh, refugees for Afghanistan. Thank you, Thomas, for asking my help. Uh, Akram is saying, the radical solution for migration are to prevent its causes. We should not make this difficult. People's pressure on their government to contribute to solving crisis is much easier than dealing with a disaster after it has occurred. Yes. Um, and then... We have Sasha is saying governments are, have no morality. They have to deal with pragmatism and balance of powers. People have a personal morality and it's part of the battle of influence, the powers. The solution is a balance between pragmatism and morality. And uh, good intention based only on morality are building futures disaster. Interesting point, Sasha. Thomas is very happy with Simon. He's saying, brilliant, Simon. <laughs> Someone is liking you, Simon. <laughs> I'm joking, Simon. 
and then um, what challenges do refugee and immigrant children face at school? I don't know if we have time to um, address that. Yeah, okay. So Sasha made an, a pretty interesting comment there about um, governments having no morality and having to deal with pragmatism and the balance of power. I think that elaborates a little bit on what Simon was saying earlier about the different role of governments and the individual. Um, and I think the focus for us is always going to be on our personal morality and, of course, our values, whatever values we have. Part of that will be how we treat people who are different. Um, Howler, you made some really interesting comments about um, people never being able to fully integrate. And I, I would agree with that. Absolutely. Um, my dad was from Jamaica and I know that um, Simon, your uh, family was also from Jamaica. And we're all from different backgrounds, aren't we? Living in different countries from our families. And I don't feel fully integrated. There are certain parts of my character, certain parts of my culture that I wouldn't want to let them go. And actually, the irony is sometimes we have this term where people say about cultural appropriation. And I think sometimes um, there can be this attitude towards the foreigner that the things about your culture that we like, that we don't have in our culture, we will accept it. But the things about your culture that we find too uncomfortable or too different from us, we don't want that. And actually, when we come to people, that's not the way it works, is it? So I'm going to hand it over to you guys for your final comments, um, solutions, ideas and any words of wisdom that you would like to leave the audience with. Simon? Be nice. <laughs> Just be nice. Yeah. Treat people as you want to be cheated. I know it's a repeat of last week, but it's what it is, isn't it? You know, I, I don't. I I treat other people how I would want to be treated, and then the world would be a better place. And Victor. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait! I can't believe I'm seeing Simon do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and. Um, yeah, it's just it's just that we can't do justice to Rifa's uh, to Rifa's last question about the challenges that um, migrant kids face. Because I mean, the migrant more um, the community that I live in in London is kind of like more very mixed with all sorts of you know migrants. And you see, when when my son was in say, year two, year three, year four, and I take him to, when I'm taking him to school, you see parents who can't speak English, their kids, they have to, like, translate what the teacher is saying to them. So maybe they want to pay dinner, uh, dinner money or something like that. The kids need to translate as young as that. So these are the challenges and getting getting um, someone to actually translate for the kids when when the English starts to get more more advanced is kind of you know getting those teachers that substitute teachers that will actually help assistant teachers that will help those kids to like to be able to integrate to some level not totally but integrate to some level and make the kids more comfortable get okay. so, I think that is a solution that I would suggest for schools to reach out to local communities of maybe displaced migrant or refugee community where they have someone who's very strong in speaking English and bring them to their classroom to be to be able to coordinate 
lessons. That will be my suggestion or solutions, however you want to call it. But if I would use one word, is that um, the world is moving fast. What do you think is here today will not be here tomorrow. Facebook changed to Meta. We're going Metaverse now. You can't be, you can't be a digital refugee. You can't <laughs> start running from one platform to the other. <laughs> See, just be safe and don't think you're too safe. You know, that's what I was saying. Matilda, um, I would say if we, if you know any um, any talent or you you know something very well, maybe you can teach in a small organization the refugee people, uh, the refugee kids, so they can uh, learn a skill that they can it can be beneficial for that society. Uh, also, I would want maybe to teach these children and the parents as well. Because you're in a different country, you need to respect the culture and um, their religion and their way of living as much as possible. Because kind of you're the guest in that country. And um, I think that's very important. I've seen refugees that they don't respect the culture of that country. And that's very disrespectful as well. Uh, both parties, they have to understand the situation. And um, I can understand why some natives don't like the refugees because some refugees have this attitude problem. Then I, th they have to be um, educated in that. Um, and so both parties can have a more peaceful situation living together. It's all about understanding. They have to understand each other and where they're coming from. Okay, and Haula, final comments? Well, I don't think if there is like a proper solution to these situations, because um, when you see the refugees camp, they are in a very low mental state and, and their psychology is not, it's not in a, in a good state of mind to, to help. But I think also the country that um, uh, welcome refugees, they, they need also to uh, put for them uh, chances so they can survive and they can learn and to put them like for example free courses on the, the language that they that they need to learn and just make it a little bit easier for them to to learn the history for example of the country to learn the language um, uh, and also to provide for them you know certifications or uh, degrees that they can do in a short time uh, in a short time so they can be uh, effective to the society so uh, I think there are a lot of, uh, of things people could work on and we shouldn't have always talk about government, government as individual, we could reach out to this association and talk to this kind of people. And when you go to this kind of uh, association volunteering, you will see it's not only about refugees because there are people in the country, they are marginalized, they are isolated and they, they need help too. It's not only refugees and immigrants. They are people. They, I, my sister went to an association uh, outside Paris, so she can help people in the poor areas and, like, I mean, French people, and they don't even have this chance of of having good education like people inside Paris. So there's a lot of inequalities in countries, and that we don't see because we see all always the big picture. Uh, and uh, it's not always about refugees and immigrants. There are a lot of people who have uh, problems uh, of education and choices and equality. So, 
yeah, we need to to start to help them first before blaming the government. Yeah, absolutely, definitely. Well, we would love to stay and go on and on, and I'm sure there are lots of topics that um, overlap with this, and we would have loved to um, have more, but we. We aim to be back again next week with another episode. So, um, Akram, thank you for your final comment. Uh, the episode was rather special as it dealt with most aspects of the discussion topic lively. We wish you a great development. Thank you very much, Akram. And thank you to all of our um, guests today. Uh, Shajada, Rifa, Thomas. Uh, who else have we got? Sithaya, uh, Tasina. George, you came late. What's happening? <laughs> we were waiting for you at the beginning. Are you leaving or you're coming? We didn't see any of your comments, Pickle Man. We're waiting for you. Thank you, but thank you for showing up. Yeah, thank you, George. And um, if I missed your name, um, you're very welcome. It's lovely to have you with us. And also, Thomas, we're going to, uh, we've got a comment there. Hi, George. Thank you. <clears throat> we've got a, a comment from um, Thomas that I just wanted to finish with, Matilda, that came up in the middle, which I think sums up our episode today. So Thomas, you're doing the summary <laughs> for this episode. And he says, love and feelings is the way the economy can wait. So always remember that the big jobs, um, also Sasha said it, all the government things we need to leave to the government, uh, that's their job. Their job is not about individual morality. Their job is not to regulate on how we treat our fellow human being. Their job is to manage the country and to look at the bigger picture. And our job is to treat our fellow human beings as we would like to be treated, as Simon said, and uh, Howler and everybody has said um, today. So that's our summary for today's episode. Are they welcome? Absolutely, yes, they're welcome. The politics of how they got to the country and where they're going and whether they contribute and whether they're educated enough and all of that, we'll leave that to the government um, to manage the bigger infrastructure. But for us, it's about treating them as we would like to be treated, as Simon said. So, guys, tell us about your podcasts. Howler? Yes, so my podcast is Women's Stories Podcast. Tune in for a new episode next week. Over to you, Simon. Hi, um, Taxi Chronicles, interviewing people as they get into the taxi, loads of stories of all walks of life. Basically, people give their short masterclass about whatever they do in life, and it's not all honest, by the way. Um, we publish every day at 8 a.m. Greenwich Mean Time. Over to you, Victor. Yeah, thank you, Simon. Um, Diaspora Entrepreneurs Podcast, you can find us on YouTube, Spotify, Anchor, Wherever your favorite platform is, just find us there. Over to you, Matilda. And uh, I just want to say, Thomas, you're off the hook. It's okay. I know the time has changed. <laughs> but next time, show up on time. We're waiting for you and we're waiting for your comments. Um, so my podcast is uh, Coffee with Matilda, A Journey to South. And you can find it in all uh, podcast um, app, um, platforms and YouTube and Facebook. Thank you, guys. Thank you for your comments, Thomas. Thank, and you, Moody. Thank you, Moody. Thank you, OJ. Thank you, experts. Thank you for showing up. Yeah, thank you. And we hope to see you again next week. I know we had a, a comment there about an episode suggestion. So if you have got episode suggestions, feel free to reach out to us. You can connect with us. You can comment on this video on YouTube. Send us your suggestions there. You can also comment on the Facebook page. 
um, or you can reach out to any one of us if you're we, we know that you're all in our different networks so reach out to us send us your feedback we love getting your feedback you've been sending in some really great words of encouragement to us feedback about how to improve the episodes and things like that so keep those coming in we take on board we read all your comments and we talk about all your comments um and how you and the different feedback you give us uh, about the episodes so we really appreciate that we appreciate the love and the support and the sharing and the commenting and everything um my podcast is the wonder and well-being podcast uh, which is all about education and well-being and how to raise our kids to be better human beings because we know with issues like what we were talking about today if we teach our children in better ways then perhaps some of the situations that we're facing in the world today will not be in their world in the future so thank you again for joining us today and we look forward to having you back with us again next week see you guys <laughs>